Live from the Jacob Media Studios, it's Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough on News Talk 1400 WOND. Be inspired, learn and understand the power of becoming a servant leader and transform your life while serving our nation. Meet those who have served our country. Learn about prosperity and overcome sickness, poverty, and despair. Serving Our Nation begins right now. Good afternoon and welcome to episode 61 of Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and if today is your first time joining the program, I just want to share with you the heart behind Serving Our Nation. This is a program that is focused on encouraging people to become servant leaders, and my goal is to offer you hope and encouragement through stories each week of people that have dedicated their lives to this idea of putting other people first of being a servant leader, because what I know to be true is that when you do that, you are honoring God. And as a byproduct of that service, abundant blessings will just flow into your life. Because at the end of the day, all of us are ministers of one kind or another, because each one of us has been given special and unique gifts and talents by the creator of the universe. And because of that, it is our obligation and responsibility that when we see a need in the world, we need to fill that need to the best of our ability because serving is for everyone in all walks of life. And we've seen that in countless guests over the last year of this program. People that are servant leaders in the military, in business, faith leaders, community leaders, and even people that are doing something as simple as serving their family. And last week, if you missed it, in episode 60, we had the great pleasure of talking to Major General John Gronsky. Now, this is an individual that not only served for quite a long period of time in the United States Army, but then went on to become a renowned author and speaker. And one of his books is Iron Sharpened Leadership. So if you did not hear about what he's doing and his incredible journey, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to episode 60. But for today, just a little bit about me that's relevant to today's guest. My last assignment in the Army was at DLA Troop Support in Philadelphia, and I retired from there in 2018. And I recently had an opportunity to give a speech at the Philadelphia Vietnam Veterans Memorial Ceremony. And while I was there, I had the great privilege of meeting Brigadier General Eric Shirley, who was the keynote speaker for that event. And so today I'm honored to have him as my special guest on the program. Brigadier General Eric Shirley is not only the commander of DLA Troop Support, but he was also the former chief of staff for Operation Warp Speed, a White House directed task force. He's the former chief of staff for the Transition Command in Afghanistan, and he's a highly decorated military officer. So when we come back from the break, I'll be joined by Brigadier General Eric Shirley. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Serving Our Nation with Dr. Paul McCullough, a Jacob Media Production. And welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough, and I'm joined here today by Brigadier General Eric Shirley. Sir, first of all, thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with me on the show here today. Oh, thanks very much. I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to speak with you today. Well, sir, when I first met you at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial uh, Ceremony, I was really intrigued by who you are and your words that you spoke to the crowd. And it really made me want to have a conversation with you to further explore your career and your perspective on servant leadership. And then when I started reading your bio, you have a very accomplished career. And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to just start with your army story how did you get into the army why and of all the branches of service why our beloved army right so i will tell you i think a lot of us uh, are shaped by some of our experiences uh, that we have growing up and certainly i was the beneficiary of having had two grandfathers uh, that both served in world war ii era soldiers my uh, mother's father was a master sergeant in the army and served in Alaska when uh, the Japanese attacked at Dutch Harbor. So a little little less well-known episode of history is something that my grandfather always reflected on. I've got a, a picture of he and my grandmother uh, in his service uniform at the time, the old pinks and greens. And I just, you know, I, I think fondly today that our army is, has started wearing the army green service uniform in tribute to that greatest generation. Uh, my other father's um, father, uh, my grandfather uh, from Arizona uh, served, and he actually served just a little bit later uh, in the early 50s, uh, but he served at Camp Hood, Texas, uh, met my grandmother there, and I have subsequently gone on to serve three different tours at Fort Hood, Texas. So I would tell you the example of my grandfathers uh, in the time in our nation's history when they served certainly was was a, a major impression on me when I was younger. Right. And I've also had several uh, military affiliated adults that helped shape me. My first employer uh, was a former uh, Army Staff Sergeant with Vietnam uh, Era Service. Uh, I had an uncle who served in both the Army and the Air Force. So like many of us, I think I had a, a direct, close and compelling uh, example of what to look up to when I was a younger uh, younger man. And uh, it really just helped me uh, form the notion that uh, a life of service in the military would be great. And I just gravitated towards the Army, I think, because it was the example that I saw uh, most clearly as I was growing up. And it's right. one that I've certainly never, never spent a day uh, regretting as I've, as I've, as of today, served 29 years uh, in our nation's great Army. Well, sir, I can certainly resonate with that. I'm Paul III, and my father and my grandfather before me, we all joined our beloved army at the age of 17, raised our right hand, and took the oath. So my father was in Vietnam, and my grandfather was in World War II. I was the only one to become a commissioned officer. But much like you, the family lineage and the history of my family is what compelled me to stay on in the army. So, sir, I'm Paul III, 
and my father and my grandfather before me, we all joined the army at the age of 17, raised our right hand and took the oath to defend our nation against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so the tradition and the history of family lineage really uh, strikes a chord with me. And I, I also had some people in my life that spoke into me that the army could be a really good thing for my career. I certainly didn't stay as long as you for other reasons, but I definitely respect and thank you for your service, sir, and, and all that you've done in your career. Well, thanks very much. I will tell you, uh, it has been my great privilege uh, to serve, and I'm blessed that uh, my health, my family, and all the things that allow us to continue to serve uh, remain favorable for us. Uh, I think uh, I reflect often on the fact that out of our great nation's uh, entire population, uh, the amount uh, of people who have the opportunity to serve has seen somewhat of a decline over time yes. uh, from just health aspects and other considerations. Uh, so as we look out uh, across the broad cross-section of America's citizenry, uh, the number of people that are serving uh, certainly is only a fraction of a percent. The number of people that have connections to the military uh, is limited, uh, I would say, compared to historical norms. The amount of representation in Congress uh, is somewhat lower. And I think that uh, we always have to be on guard as an institution uh, that we don't become uh, insulated uh, from the population we serve. And I think it's important for uh, leaders of all services to make the opportunity to stay connected uh, not only with uh, the national dialogue, but with their local communities. And anything we can do to reach out, make ourselves available uh, to have discussions uh, with the, the citizens of our country, it's part of our obligation to do that. Just so uh, the people of America have great confidence in those, um, those fellow citizens who have volunteered to serve, and they know that we're here for the singular reason of supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States of America as an absolutely apolitical organization that's committed to providing for trained and ready forces to go out and do uh, what is on our nation's um, vital national interests and to serve uh, and support our country and support the uh, Constitution of the United States. That's what we're all about and it's been my privilege to do it. Amen. Sir, I couldn't agree with you more about the importance of serving in our army. And, and the call to action for the nation. When I was doing my doc study, it was actually a comparative study of recruiting techniques between the Army and Marine Corps because I was a young Lieutenant Colonel when I finished. And I was really compelled by the low recruiting numbers, not just in our Army, but across all the services and the amount of money that we were spending as the Department of Defense to try to bring people in and retain them. And so that is something that I'm still very passionate about. And I've actually just applied to become an ARA, an Army Reserve Ambassador, to be able to go out and tell the Army story, to bring more people into our Army, whether it be the Reserve or active duty, what have you. So, sir, going on this same thread and, and the call to action within our Army and the DOD, when you think about the concept of servant leadership and what it means to wear the uniform, what does that term mean for you to be a servant leader? I mean, you're a senior officer in our Army and you have thousands of people in your span of control that you're responsible for on a daily basis. What does it mean to you to serve those people? The DA civilians as well as the service members. 
Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's one that uh, you really have to reflect on uh, because I think every uh, individual leader's approach uh, is exactly that. It's the personal philosophy and commitment of uh, the individual leader. So part of it, I think the right point of departure is to examine exactly what you said, selfless service or servant leadership. It's been my great privilege to have uh, exceptional uh, Army leaders, whether those are non-commissioned officers, warrant officers, commission officers, that have always talked to me about the importance and the value of the team, that life is better with great teammates. Yes. And regardless of which position you occupy in the organization, you are a teammate to all. And so whether you have the great privilege of serving in a particular duty position that just so happens to be titled commander, or if you're a teammate, the newest member of a team and you're not in a leadership role, you still have the responsibility, it's an inherent responsibility to be the best prepared, best motivated uh, teammate that you can be for the entirety of the organization, whether that's a small fire team, a squad, platoon, or a several thousand member joint activity. My personal belief is that it, it may be trite, but to say that there's no I in team, nothing that I do throughout the day uh, for DLA troop support is about me personally, uh, other than to discharge my responsibilities, which is to be responsible for everything the organization does or fails to do. In truly carrying out those responsibilities, I've got to subordinate myself to the good of the mission and the welfare of all of our teammates. So I'm very blessed here at DLA Troop Support in Philadelphia to have a great, just a tremendous uh, Department of Defense civilian workforce and a very senior cast of uniformed military members. Each one of them experts in their field or they wouldn't have been selected to joint duty and to come to this particular headquarters. Right. But I find myself as the commander of DLA Troop Support with a unique opportunity uh, to listen, to sit at the end of the table and just have a wealth of knowledge uh, directed towards me as the various challenges around the world, whether that's the uh, drawdown uh, and exit from Afghanistan or helping with Operation uh, Allied uh, Refuge and Allied Welcome, taking thousands of Afghan families from Afghanistan and helping them to resettle uh, here in America, or the war in Ukraine. And the U.S. as part of a NATO alliance response to the Russian aggression, mm -hmm. I benefit each and every day in making sound decisions in support of our joint force, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, space uh, guardians and coast guardsmen around the world. I benefit from the knowledge of over 2,200 uh, extremely uh, talented and, and dedicated DOD civilians. It's my role to make sure that I am assessing all of that knowledge, picking the best course of action from expert advice and making recommendations to the DLA director right. and to our supported services and combatant commanders around the world. I can only do that if I set humility uh, apart and I leave and check ego at the door. Yeah, uh, because it is abundantly clear to me that there are tremendously talented and smart people in this organization that have taken part in contingencies over the course of the last couple of decades. 
and in empowering them, giving them the decision space and the resources and tools they need to provide expert military advice, uh, I can then best serve all of the deployed service members around the world. And it has nothing to do with my initiatives, my good ideas. It has to do with leveraging the collective talent of the team. So, sir, you know, I really resonate with everything that you're saying here about the people that work at DLA Troop Support and their ability to provide you with sound guidance and recommendations because of all their years of experience. My last assignment in the Army was at DLA Troop Support, and I was working for one of your predecessors, and I had the unique experience of being deployed as a DLA support team commander in Kuwait for a period of about six months. And so during the time, the only reason I was successful is because I did exactly what you were just saying is listen to the people around me and put, you know, my pride aside and really be a person of humility and listen to what they're telling me is the best thing to do and how to approach the situation and serve the customer. So I really appreciate, you know, how you're leading that team, sir, and all that you're doing. Yeah, Dr. McCullough, I'll tell you, one of the things that I learned uh, as a brigade commander, uh, and I had kind of graduated, if you will, to the enterprise level of support. When you have teams with broad geographic responsibilities and you're blessed to have senior leaders uh, that are now your teammates, certainly uh, you are regarding yourself too highly, in my opinion, if you think you're gonna be the point of origin for all the good ideas and all the approaches of the command to solve the myriad of challenges and mission requirements to get laid in front of you. So one of my uh, mentors in the Army called me early one morning on a, on a Saturday and talked to me about a, what we call a sit rep, a situation report that I had submitted to a Corps commander, so a three-star in the Army. And evidently uh, in that uh, report, I was using the term, I have done this and I have done that, uh, obviously too often because it's not about what I am doing. Right. It's about what the team is accomplishing. Nested with the higher intent of my leadership within the Army Material Command, uh, chain of command. I needed to be attuned with that overall uh, concept for the way ahead and how to provide world-class logistic support uh, to the Third Corps. And so uh, my boss called me and just helped me to understand it's probably not intentional, but you're reflecting kind of a, a narcissism, if you will, or an egocentrism about all the things that, that you think you're doing. But remember, it's for the team and it's nested within the intent of uh, the higher level organization that you are a part of. So that really helped me to see myself, if you will, uh, take a good look in the mirror and just think about, even though uh, it wasn't what I intended, I certainly wasn't trying to spotlight myself uh, because I know I was probably the, you know, one of the least smart people in the room, uh, how we communicate uh, both uh, in the spoken word and in writing is critically important and words have meaning. And so I have take, made it a point to always take out I uh, from reports that I submit, communications that I have, uh, unless I am taking personal responsibility for a shortcoming in the organization. Right. And it's one of the things I share with the younger officers uh, that I talk to uh, is they is they regard uh, their communications and how they uh, talk about their organizations that they're leading and what the team's doing, not what they themselves are doing. So that's you know that's another uh, small subtle thing, uh, but one that shouldn't be lost on us. I uh, should be sparingly used, right? 
Sorry, I love what you just said there because that was a lesson that I was taught as well uh, when I first took command of a company many years ago, back in 2003. And much like what you were saying, you know, I had this perspective that, well, my name's out front and I'm the commander and da 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 da. And that didn't right. do very well for me at all. And my first sergeant pulled me aside and he was like, you need to change your tune very quickly or you're going to lose this team. And so I took his words to heart and I started having the perspective that if anything in the company goes right, it's because my drill sergeants, the first sergeant and all the service members underneath them did something right. If something goes wrong, then it's because Paul McCullough did something wrong. There you go. And that's exactly right. If it's good, the team made it happen. And if it's a shortcoming, you know, the leader has to reflect on how we're going to prevent that in the future. Yes, sir. Well, sir, now you're in a position of significant authority, a one-star general in the Army. And I know that in DLA troop support, there's a number of military service members that are on your team. And if it's still the same dynamic as it was a few years ago when I was there, some of uh, those service members are junior officers. And so how are you able to impart your knowledge and all the things that you've learned throughout your career to those junior officers to help them grow up to being leaders of character like you are today? Well, I think part of it um, is this notion that mentoring uh, is truly an ongoing process. And it's not just a scheduled event that happens on a calendar. It's the day-to-day -day operational, institutional, and self-development efforts on behalf of the younger, uh, more junior soldier and uh, the leader of the organization. So I always uh, take time when I'm talking about mentorship uh, to impress upon these younger teammates that you don't just have one mentor. Uh, you have every senior leader that you observe is teaching you good lessons, lessons about how you want to do things in the future or in the instances where there's errors, mistakes or shortcomings, how you want to not do things in the future. And that each and every one of us is being mentored, whether we want to realize it or not, uh, on a daily basis, not only in our work setting, by observing seniors and observing organization, uh, but from a self-development perspective, we have to take time as individuals to seek out meaningful improvements uh, by searching for, uh, seeking out, or just taking the time to, to recognize in the moment uh, that we're always learning about the complex strategic supply chain operations uh, that each of our four supply chains here in DLA Troop Support provide support to service members around the world. So we can take lessons from, as I mentioned earlier, the Afghan uh, withdrawal or ongoing support operations to Ukraine. Each of them provide globally informed challenges and really gets into the multi-million and multi-billion dollar uh, material availability uh, concepts of support that we're charged with being responsible for here at DLA Troop Support. So our most junior officers, I think, are uniquely postured to have enterprise level uh, experiences here at DLA Troop Support that really are few and far between outside of these joint senior level headquarters like service headquarters at the Pentagons or combatant commands around the world. Our younger officers here at DLA Troop Support benefit both from the day-to-day -day work they do, 
as well as our directed uh, leader professional development sessions that we have on a monthly basis, as well as our monthly campaign of learning um, directed topical uh, subjects that we send out, uh, newsletters, as well as uh, supporting articles and material that our J35 does a great job of providing a steady drumbeat of content that goes out to each one of our service members and our DOD civilians. So really in the three developmental domains, institutional, operational, and self-development, there are opportunities for our junior and our most senior leaders here to learn from what's going on in the operational setting, as well as taking the time to deep dive into their roles and responsibilities and see how that applies globally. And then, you know, if that, uh, if that opportunity isn't enough here at Troop, we're also pushing content on a monthly basis uh, in the form of our campaign of learning. Wow. That is really great, sir. That's, that's a lot more than uh, was taking place than I was there. It's really good you're doing that for your officers. Sir, I wonder, I was looking in your bio and I saw that you were also a professor of military science at Truman State University. Is that right? Right. Northeast Missouri uh, in Kirksville, a uh, small college town. Uh, there's Truman State University, uh, as well as a uh, osteopathic um, uh, medical school and dental school there. So in remote, in remote uh, Northeast Missouri, uh, there's just a really, really rich um, and great uh, liberal arts school there that I was uh, privileged to be the professor of military science uh, for the Army ROTC program as a department chair uh, and senior instructor. And so from 2008 to 2010, I had the great privilege of uh, leading that Bulldog Battalion, commissioning some absolutely uh, exceptional cadets uh, as they became second lieutenants. Uh, and we had a, a considering that uh, the school was only about, uh, you know, a few thousand uh, undergraduates, we had a program that ranged anywhere from 100 to 125 cadets. So really on the order of what I had at the University of Arizona when I was a cadet. And, you know, that was a big state school with about 30,000 undergrads. Wow. Uh, so I was very, very privileged to lead that program for two years. And sir, when you were serving as the PMS, did you do anything different in your leadership style to be able to communicate with these young cadets that really haven't had much exposure to the Army and you know may not fully understand the Army regulations and everything else? And how are you able to mold them into the officers of tomorrow without them having as much background as the officers currently serving for you have? Sure. So a couple things on that. U.S. Army Cadet Command has just a tremendous uh, leadership academy, academy for their cadre and a great pre-command program, at least uh, when I went through, uh, that really helped to calibrate you and take you from that feel-great officer. For me, I was just coming out of a second tour in Iraq uh, and moved into this cadet training, uh, TRADOC, Training and Doctrine Command, uh, mental model. So there was a great institutional preparation uh, for me, but I really uh, tried to recall back to the time when I was a cadet. I had no prior military service. Right. I was just like any other 17-year-old uh, freshman at university going through training for the first time. And I will tell you, those reflections and those memories came right back to me. It was, it was uh, almost as, I as if I were getting to live that experience again. And it's one that I cherished. I really, I wanted to go and serve as a professor of military science and give back uh, after having done, uh, at the time, well, I guess it was about 15 or 16 years in the Army, 
I wanted to go and serve with cadets that were on their way to becoming second lieutenants because I had served at that point as a platoon leader and company commander and uh, a battalion support operations officer. Uh, so I really felt the need uh, to take current deployment experience and plow that back into uh, a new generation of officers. And it was it was a desirable duty for me at the time uh, to step uh, away from tactical deployments that I had been on for uh, you know several years with a couple of deployments to Iraq and go back and impart some of that to the to the training base. And so it really is. Um, not that you're you're downshifting or uh, going from uh, advanced to simplistic skills, but really, uh, I've used it as an opportunity to get back to fundamental leadership. Yes, uh, at the individual squad and platoon leader, because that's the basis of the program of instruction in Army ROTC. It's to help um, soldierize and institutionalize young citizens and give them an opportunity to understand what it is to be an army leader. And you do that best with the uh, the basics of leadership. So those fundamentals that are common to uh, the combat arms and infantry uh, programs of instruction, everything from the fundamentals of physical fitness to land navigation, uh, rifle marksmanship, small unit tactics, and just the fundamental uh, doctrine of our army leadership. So I really embraced it and loved stepping back uh, to that point in my career and imparting some of that to uh, just what were tremendous uh, young people. And the quality of cadet that we had at Truman was just unrivaled. Uh, they were all, they all seemed to be exceptionally uh, gifted academic uh, and physically. Uh, just some really, really talented young people. Many of them I stay in touch with today. Uh, some of them completed their journey of service and left after uh, being captains or majors. Uh, some of them continue to serve today. Uh, so we're very, very, very blessed. Uh, and I think it's rewarding uh, for all Army leaders to at some point take time to go back into the training base and serve, whether that's in uh, a military academy setting, ROTC, or in the schoolhouse, uh, to plow back into your institution, some of your hard-learned um, wisdom, uh, experience, uh, hopefully some insights on how to best lead, lead and serve uh, our soldiers and their families going forward. Sorry, I couldn't agree with you more. And uh, I never had an opportunity to serve as a professor of military science, but I'm now the chapter president for the Penn and Franklin chapter of AUSA, which covers the greater Philadelphia area. And as part of that, I get to interact a whole lot with the local ROTC battalions, Drexel University being one of the ones that we do the most with. And it's really a joy and a privilege to be able to see these young cadets grow and progress from being young freshmen to becoming army officers. And uh, this actual Friday, I believe, uh, they're having their commissioning ceremony and I get to uh, be there and be a part of that. So it's really something special for me to still be connected to that world. But now, sir, looking at all the different things that you have done to include Professor Military Science and the role you have now, and you've served on a task force for the White House, and you've done some work with the drawdown in Afghanistan, was there ever a time that you would look back and say, well, you know what, this is really, really hard work, but the blessings that I'm getting from it are, I, I never thought that I would be able to stand here and do this. Like, this is truly a blessing from God that I get to be a part of 
this thing, that I'm get to serve my country in this way? Well, uh, I mean, hands down, I think the, the, the single most impactful mission set that I've been uh, a part of in my Army career uh, was the year that I spent uh, as the Chief of Staff on the Operation Warp Speed Task Force working to deliver safe and effective uh, COVID vaccines and therapeutics for the American people. It was just truly uh, some of the hardest work that I've done as far as personal uh, effort mm -hmm. and sustained level of effort outside of a combat zone. That's by far the hardest that uh, that I and the team uh, that I was part of, I could say without doubt, collectively worked. It was, you know, long days every day uh, there were no holidays and there really wasn't much in the way of time off but from the time uh, that uh, that initiative was announced uh, so from may of uh, 20 through may of 21 the year that i was there we were very very uh, fortunate to serve in what i think is just uh, an ideal blueprint for interagency cooperation so Absolutely. the department of defense and health and human services working together uh, the science of HHS complemented by the planning, logistics, and acquisition expertise uh, of the Department of Defense and just our capacity to operationalize all of the project coordination teams and really work with industry and academia to accelerate the development of safe and effective vaccines and therapeutics. It was, uh, it was truly uh, I think uh, not only historic, but it was the most meaningful uh, work that I've ever done personally. And I'm, I'm grateful that I was a part of that great team under uh, General Gus Perna's leadership. It was just um, some of the most rewarding work uh, that I've ever been able to look back and say, I'm glad I was part of that. Uh, and it was, uh, it was something I, I hope is captured. And I know there's been some, uh, some books written uh, to date, and we certainly made a point uh, to bring out the Center for Army Lessons Learned and the Joint Forces Command's uh, 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 military uh, lessons learned team so that we could codify some of those best practices because I think they certainly would, would serve in any kind of future uh, biodefense uh, scenario as, as an example of what right looked like. Uh, we right. certainly, we had, we had uh, some of the very best people uh, from both departments working on it, and I think to a very, very positive result. Luther, you mentioned that this was one of the hardest things that you've had to do in your career, and you've been in the Army for quite some time. So I, I wonder if you would just briefly share with us, how have you been able to manage the demands of your career, especially during that assignment where you said it was a very uh, high level of effort at a sustained pace and not much time off and all those different things. And I can only imagine that you have an equal amount of burden placed on you in your role as a commander now and other things you've done in the past. How are you able to balance that and have that work family uh, equation where you're able to still do the right thing at home? Well, you know, that's, uh, that's been a challenge. And I think it's one that's not uh, unfamiliar to, to many people. Uh, hardworking uh, professionals uh, uh, across our country. Uh, the Army is, is certainly uh, a demanding profession, and it's one that impacts beyond just the service member. I know that my wife, um, she, she comes from a military family, and she knows what it was to move around the world 
uh, as a young uh, girl, and she was able to uh, see her father retire as she entered high school. So then she had some stability growing up. Right. My daughters, uh, you know, I'm blessed. I still had uh, two girls in the house uh, with us, and one's um, about to be a senior. So all those all those important life decisions are starting to come together for her. Uh, we made a decision as a family uh, to to leave uh, them in the national capital region, uh, so my older daughter could enjoy all four years of high school together, and that's a family decision we made. Yeah. But I will tell you, part of what I do is just uh, I'm upfront with folks. Uh, I'm committed to making sure that I can spend time uh, for those uh, special events that, that my family, my daughters have. So whether it's a dance recital, uh, a soccer game or a softball game, or as is the case with both of my daughters right now, the volleyball season, uh, I put it on the calendar and I plan leave and I take time off. and. I'm up front with the team. Several months ago, I calendared out all the tournaments that I would be going to uh, over the weekends. And some of those weekend tournaments mean that I'm uh, on leave on Friday or on a Monday in conjunction with a federal holiday. Right. And I'm traveling. And I'm still able to do, you know, the, the occasional Zoom call and, and service the email inbox. Uh, but I travel with and I'm there for my daughter. And my wife uh, is with our younger daughter uh, through all these things. So. We make it a priority and I'm just blessed right now that, you know, I'm here in the States and I'm not on the deployment. Uh, you know, I've deployed four times and when that has happened, um, as technology evolved over time, we were able to do, you know, FaceTime and Zoom calls and things like that. But I remember in my earliest deployments to uh, Iraq, it was trying to schedule it a, uh, an SVTC uh, suite where you put your name on a piece of paper on a list and yeah. If you were lucky, you got selected, and I, I had uh, infrequent uh, contact face to face with the family. Uh, if if I got to do it, you know, once every couple of weeks, I was lucky. And you know, fifteen month tours, doing that kind of connection and the occasional phone call is tough. But the last time I was uh, in Afghanistan, from eighteen to nineteen, uh, I could FaceTime on my iPhone from the uh, the base there in Kabul. And I talked to them virtually every day. Yeah. And so that made it a lot more manageable. But what I'm doing now as a commander uh, is just to be up front with my team and tell them, hey, I'm going to calendar this. You'll be able to see it on my calendar. You'll know when I've got this as a priority. And uh, I'm always available to you because my responsibility as a commander never stop. But my physical presence and my availability is going to be there uh, with my daughter. Uh, and... And my wife and I try try and be judicious about trading back and forth with which parent is with which girl, right. because inevitably they're they're both doing something at the same time. Right. And then on those rare occasions where we can tag team and have both parents there for an event, we do that too. So it's it's just prioritizing and, and level setting with your team, so so they know what you're doing and they can see where your priorities are. And then I hope they emulate that that themselves at their level with their teams. Uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to leave service. We're all going to take the uniform off. And we hope that uh, our family's still there with us because we've uh, balanced the investment. Uh, you know, the Army, and I think it goes for, uh, for every military service, you know, those can be very demanding careers. And there is, there is no amount of individual effort that can meet all the requirements of any of our services. And at the end of the day, the Army or you pick the service will find additional talent 
and they'll have another leader to step in and fill your place when you're ready to PCS or retire. Indeed. Uh, but but you can't you can't expect that you give it all to the service and that your family is going to be there smiling at the end of it, uh, just waiting for you to walk across the retirement stage. You've got to invest in both missions. And uh, at the end of the day, you hope your family's there with you. Sure, I love that idea of being intentional. And I tried to do the same thing throughout my career. I only did 20 years uh, before I retired, but I, I very much saw in other officers who were not intentional that at the end of the day, when they retired, their family wasn't really there for them because they were not diligent about pouring into their wife and kids when they needed to be up being there for those key moments. So I really appreciate that you do that, sir. So our last yeah. question, we only have a couple minutes left. So from your foxhole as a senior officer and all the different things that you've done, a very accomplished career, what advice would you give to a young officer, maybe a young ROTC cadet or maybe a, a cadet or newly commissioned officer? What would, advice would you give to them to grow up to be a leader of character? You know, maybe not necessarily your level as a general officer, but maybe a commander or somebody that's just had a successful career. Well, uh, you've touched on some of that throughout uh, throughout this dialogue, right? Certainly, uh, the price of entrance is a willingness uh, to be part of something larger than yourself and subordinate yourself to the needs of the team. It's especially important for our young lieutenants as they come in to be platoon leaders to take that sage advice from their senior non-commissioned officers, those who have been around the block and have helped to develop other young leaders. Uh, so you can't have uh, any sense of ego as a young uh, junior officer or junior leader in our, in our army uh, because there is an entire history uh, of doctrine and tradition and institutional knowledge that you've got to take on board. And you have to do it in a humble way. Uh, or, uh, as you said, uh, our organization has a way of, of keeping you humble. And so I would just offer that... Uh, uh, there's no reason to be afraid uh, of the of the scope and scale and responsibility that a, that a young leader uh, begins on in their career. And if they approach it with the right uh, spirit of humility and willingness to learn and willingness to give it their all, commit to giving their level best each and every day when they show up, the team will rally around them. And they'll make sure through their best efforts uh, that they're allowing that leader to come into their own to develop and over time start to hone those tools and those tactical competencies uh, and those individual leadership competencies that will make them uh, better for the organization. But again, it's not about uh, the success of any individual leader. Uh, that comes as a byproduct of being a good teammate. Your advancement, your performance, and the potential that the senior seeing you is gauged uh, in good measure on their willingness uh, to be good leaders. And part of that's uh, being a humble uh, servant, being confident, of course, but always willing to take inputs uh, that would make you better. And I think that's that's part of it. Uh, commitment to giving your level best every day, willingness to take, uh, take those constructive inputs from those people that want to invest in you. 
Sure, I love it. And I, I want to thank you so very much for all of your insights and just your willingness to be a guest on the program today and share with us a little bit about your career and what it means to truly be a servant leader, especially in our army. It was truly a privilege to speak with you and just hear of your wisdom and your practical experience, sir. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Oh, thanks very much. I appreciate the time with you. Great dialogue. Helps me uh, helps me reflect and, and keep going forward with uh, you know, batteries are fully charged. Thanks for the dialogue today. It was, it was great talking with you. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate the time. And uh, if there's ever anything I can do for you, please let me know. Okay, and likewise. Thanks. Have a great day. Warfighter first. If you're interested in connecting with Dr. Paul McCullough or interested in being featured on the show, contact Jacob Media Partners via LinkedIn. Now, back to Serving Our Nation. Welcome back to Serving Our Nation. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Paul McCullough. And as we close out today's show, let's just briefly think about what we've heard from Brigadier General Eric Shirley. I mentioned to you that I heard him speak at the Philadelphia Vietnam Veterans Memorial Ceremony, and I knew at that moment that this would be a high-quality guest to have on this program because of the words that he spoke that day. It was very clear that he has the heart of a servant leader, and there's just a few things that I want to point out to us in our amount of time we have left here today. So first, it was very clear in the conversation with him that he is completely focused on building teams and not on himself. He used the word team multiple times throughout the conversation that being a leader being a servant leader is really about humbling yourself and being part of the larger effort, listening to the people around you, knowing that you don't have all the answers. And he even gave an example of when he gave a situation report to one of his uh, higher commanders and he used the word I several times in that report. And one of his mentors uh, suggested to him that that's probably not the right message that you want to be communicating. And so what is it that we can do as servant leaders, as aspiring servant leaders to minimize our own importance and highlight the work that other people are doing. General Shirley mentioned a number of times that when you're in a position of leadership, when things go well, it's because the team around you did something right. When things don't go well, then that's when you as the leader step forward and accept responsibility for the thing that went wrong and develop an action plan for that. So I would encourage you and challenge you to think about how we can implement that in our own lives. Maybe just within our own family. If you are serving and leading your family and something goes wrong, it's not about what your spouse did or what your kids did. What can we do as leaders in our family to take responsibility for the thing that went wrong or didn't go as planned 
and do a better job in the future to serve our family, to do a really good job of making them happy. And when things go well, what is it that we can do to highlight what our family members did to make that thing go well? I think all too often we take for granted what our spouses do, what our kids do to make our household run well. And so I would just challenge all of us to maybe recognize that more, to highlight that, to call that out in other people that we really appreciate and see the work that they're putting into the family or the job or whatever it is. Something else Shirley said that I thought was really important is this idea of being intentional because as servant leaders, we have an obligation to do, as he put it, our level best to give everything we have, especially when it's something that is very demanding, like the task force that he was on for distributing the vaccines for the White House. But even still, with all of that, being intentional about spending time with our family, to have both missions being executed at the same time. So what is it that we can do as servant leaders to make our family a priority while still doing our job, whatever that job happens to be. What is it that we can do to communicate with the people around us? Hey, I have this thing for my wife or my son, my daughter, whatever it is. So I'm going to be on leave. I'm going to be, you know, out of the net for a little bit, whatever it is that we can communicate or take leave or do the appropriate thing so we can be present for that particular occasion. Because at the end of the day, like General Shirley said, when you retire from your career, whether it be the Army or anything else, what's really important is that your family is there with you. Because even if you grow up to be the CEO, or in General Shirley's case, a four-star general, if your family's not there with you, at the end of the road, it, we, we lost something along the way. And I, I believe, and I think he would share that belief, that when you lose something, when you lose your family, you, you failed as a leader to care for your family, to put them first in your life, to subordinate yourself, as he said. And the final thing that General Shirley said that I really just want to focus on for just a minute was the idea of being committed to the mission. And he was talking about uh, his leadership perspective when he was a ROTC uh, commander and how he's had a number of uh, people that he leads and cares for throughout his career. And through all of it, he was able to get people to understand that we're going to really dedicate ourselves to this mission. We're going to do everything that we can to learn from the people around us. We're going to take in the lessons that people are doing things right, people are doing things wrong, but everything around us from the time that we're young cadets up until the time that we're senior people in an organization, you can learn while being fully committed to an organization. And so as servant leaders, I think that we have an obligation to always be on the lookout for the behaviors that are desirable and those that are not desirable. General Shirley made the point that mentorship is not a one and done or something that you put on the calendar because you're always essentially being mentored if you're really being aware of what's going on around you. You want to be committed to your mission, whatever it is, and be truly aware 
of the actions of the people and the situation that is going on around you, because that is what can help us be better leaders in the future. And when you see an organization really thriving and you see leaders being groomed and developed, that's something that we can take with us as good leaders and use those things to make ourselves better leaders in the future. So really appreciate Jonah Shirley being in the program today. And I think he had so much to share with us about leadership and how that applies in the military, but also how that can apply to so many other facets of life. Well, listen, each week I talk to you about this concept of you reap what you sow or when you put good into the universe, good comes back to you. So I just want to briefly share with you a situation. I have a friend of mine and he'll remain nameless because he is a very humble individual, but this is a gentleman and he is a very committed volunteer in one of the organizations that I work with. And this person is the very first one to say, I would like to help with this and help with that and always doing the extra mile to make things go well in the organization, showing up, bringing things, serving people. He is an epitome of the servant leader. And recently he was in a situation where he and his wife wanted to go uh, and have a bit of a vacation. And they were thinking about going to a certain location to go sit down and relax and just enjoy the day. And something inside him told him, mm, you know what? Um, I don't know. I think we should maybe just head home for the night instead. Something inside me just tells me that this is not the right thing for us to do. Even though I thought that might be nice, um, I, I think we should just head home. And he found out later that there was a major accident, um, like a natural accident in that area within the span of time that he and his wife would have been in that exact location where he was thinking of going. And so what I'm trying to communicate to you is by not going, by listening to that still small voice inside of him, it literally saved his life and his wife's life. Because if they had been there when they were planning on being there, they would have been severely hurt or killed. And so I, I would challenge you to think about how many times has the universe or what I believe, how many times has God stepped in to our lives to keep us safe, to make something happen, to orchestrate an event. And you never really know about it sometimes until way after the fact, but you can look back and say, oh my goodness, it's really weird how this worked out. Because if I had been there, this would have happened. Or if I wasn't there, this would have happened. You never know how things are gonna work out until after the fact. But I would encourage you and challenge you to realize that if you do what is in your heart and you do what you think that God is telling you to do, or the Holy Spirit, however you wanna think about it, that you will be protected, you will be blessed. Because this man, I'm telling you, is truly a servant leader. And I really believe that the God of the universe truly protected him and his wife and did not let injury come upon them because of the man that he is and the work that he does. So I think that can be true for all of us. And I think we can be more attuned to the miracles that happen every day. Well, listen, next week, I'm really excited about my guest. Uh, it's going to be Mr. Matt Michelet. He was supposed to be the guest for this week, but we had to reschedule because uh, something that came up. 
So again, Matt is a Tillman Scholar. He's the head of clinical operations at Noroflow, and he's the executive director of an organization called Action Tank. So I'm excited to get to speak with Matt next week. But for now, as you go about your week, no matter where you're at, always ask, how can I help? Thanks for listening and join us again. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never felt me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never